Uh, today's passage is going to be from Proverbs 1, verse 20 to 33. And it reads, uh, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and their fill and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Test, test, test. Can everybody hear me okay? I don't think I'm coming through yet. Test, 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 test. We didn't do a check beforehand, so just letting you all know. Are we good now? We're good. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor JD. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm looking forward to jumping into the text this morning, but I'd like to go to prayer before we do so. Let's, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, you could have left us in the state that we were in long ago, when Adam and Eve, our first ancestors, decided that they would turn away from you, that they would not heed the call of your wisdom. And you could have left us in that state that we read about just now, where the God of the universe does not heed our call, where the God of the universe, it even says, laughs, why, w w laughs with the laugh of a of an enemy. You could have left us in the state where we were wallowing in the mire of our own sin, but you didn't. You have sent your wisdom. You have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to call out to the whole world and to say, come to me, all you who are weary, all you sinners who are heavy laden, come to me. And Lord, we want this morning to heed that call. And if there's anyone who hasn't yet heeded that call for the first time, Lord, I pray that you would, that your Holy Spirit would be here, Lord, and that ears would be open to hear. And for those of us that have been saved by you, those of us that have come, may we heed it again. May we hear it again. Remind ourselves again of this great gospel, this great good news of your call to us to come. So Holy Spirit, would you come in a special way this morning? Would you save? And would you call those who are believers to believe and put their trust in you in ever deeper ways? That we would walk in your ways, Lord, until the day where you call us to come home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, We've been following the book of Proverbs so far for the last oh, four or five weeks. And we've been working through mostly topics in Proverbs. For instance, last week, if you weren't with us, we talked about the concept of fear, fear of the Lord in Proverbs and how often that comes up. This week, we're going to do something slightly different. We're not so much taking a topic as we're taking an actual section of scripture in Proverbs, because there is something unique about this section of scripture. There is something I would almost say extra special. Everything in the Bible is special, but there are some moments where the Bible has such incredible clarity and simplicity that we cannot avoid teaching that with that clarity and with that simplicity. So what I think you're going to hear this morning is just the clarity 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ coming forth in the Old Testament. And if you know anything about the Bible, there's something unique about that. Because often when we read the Old Testament, we're, we're seeing the gospel sort of as it were through a, through a bit of a lens. We're seeing it through, sometimes it's not always clear. Sometimes there's symbol. Sometimes there's metaphor. Sometimes there are things where we just go, oh, is that, is that really there? Is it really saying that, that, that truth about Jesus, even though Jesus is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament? But then there are those times in the Old Testament where we just get absolutely the clarity and the simplicity of the central heart of Christianity coming forth. And so we, we find ourselves in one of those texts. And so what I hope you'll do with me is you will hear me this morning, whether this is the first time you've ever set foot in a church and you're here maybe on the arm of a friend who has brought you and you're going, this is weird. And I, I, I know nothing about the Bible or the claims of Christianity. I'm so glad you're here this morning because this is, this is the central claim of Christianity that we're going to lay forth this morning. And if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've been walking faithfully with Jesus, I want to say something specially to you this morning before we jump in. For those of you that have been Christians a long time, the, the, one of the great temptations is to think that we have moved on from the gospel and that now Christianity is about something different now that we've put our trust in Christ and that we're believing on him for salvation. And the reality is you never leave the gospel. You never leave the central claim and the central truth of the call of Jesus to come. Just this morning in my own time with the Lord, I heard again, I'm your pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to kind of know stuff about the Bible and I'm supposed to have walked with Jesus for a reasonable amount of time. And I heard again, the call of Jesus just through a worship song was that was, that was playing in my headphones. I heard again, that call. And the call again was to come, not, not to be saved again or anything like that, but the call was one of one who loves me calling me to himself. Have you ever experienced that Christians where you're just in worship and you're just in, in spending time in the word and you hear that call, come to me, come to me. That's the gospel. It's the same gospel that saves those who have not put their trust in Christ. Christian, that same gospel is calling you every day because the gospel is not a message. The gospel is first and foremost, the person of Jesus Christ saying, come to me, love me, dwell with me. So Christian, I hope you'll hear that this morning. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you'll hear the words of life that could change your very eternity as you hear them and respond to them. But it's not an easy message, and we're going to see that in just a minute. So here's the main point. I'm just going to give us a main point. We're going to jump right in. Here's the main point. The call of wisdom is none other than the call of Jesus to come and be saved. The call of wisdom is none other than the call of Jesus to come and be saved. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. Let's jump into our text this morning. Proverbs 1. Let's get verses 20 and 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So there are four lines here at the very beginning, each one of them saying essentially the same thing, that the cry of wisdom is public. It's going forth to everyone, everywhere. In a, in a town, you know, in the Old Testament, the place where you would get the message out to everyone would have been the marketplace, right? It would have been the center of town, the downtown area where everybody was hustling and bustling. And if you wanted to speak something to the whole town, you spoke there. And that is the idea that's happening here. Here is wisdom. We're going to talk about what wisdom is in just a minute. Here is wisdom crying out to everyone who will listen. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point. Wisdom calls to everyone. Wisdom calls to everyone. What God says we need to receive, 
What God says about you that you need in this life is not hidden knowledge. We are not, as Christians, some secret society where you sort of rise through the ranks and you sort of gain more you know, deep insight as you go. Christianity does not act that way. There are other religions and cults that do. For instance, there was a heresy in ancient Christian times about 200 years or so after Jesus called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from the Greek word which means knowledge. And the idea was that the Gnostics had hidden knowledge. They had something special. Yes, there were sort of other people that could sort of claim to know basic things about Christianity, but the Gnostics knew the secret things about Jesus, and they hid those things. And once you were initiated into their sort of religion or their cult, then you too could learn the secret things about Christianity. They were secret societies. There were a few elites who understood truth, and then there was everybody else. Truth was hidden from everyone else. Now, you can find this idea today in a lot of other religions. For instance, Mormonism. Mormonism today has this idea of, of ever-increasing sort of levels that you get to. And, and I'm, I'm just going to say it, the weird stuff in Mormonism doesn't really show up till you get up higher, right? Like, like what I mean by is just, there's weird stuff. Go read it on yourself. I'm not going to do a whole talk on Mormonism today, but there is weird stuff. But they don't start that way. They start by saying, hey, we're Christians just like you. We got this Bible. We got a few other books, right? So we're just like you guys. We're no different. But as you work your way up, it gets weirder and weirder. The secret knowledge, right? The secret knowledge of Mormonism becomes, becomes now revealed to you as you work your way through. Some of you might be familiar with Scientology. Scientology is, is a bizarre uh, cult uh, that, that, that was formed to basically create these levels where you increasingly know more and more as you work your way up. And at some point you become Tom Cruise at the top of it, right? And, and that's, you're, you're the guy, right? And you know everything about the secret knowledge. That isn't Christianity. Christianity isn't a secret society, Never in the Bible has Jesus said, or anyone in the Bible representing God said, keep this secret. You guys know the song, hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine, right? You learn this as a kid, if you're a Christian. You learn this, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, Christianity is not a secret society. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks. This is what he says about his ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Acts 20, verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Did the Apostle Paul have a public ministry? There was no one he wouldn't talk to. There was no one he wouldn't communicate the truths of repentance towards Christ and of faith in him. How about Jesus himself? John 18, verse 20. Here's Jesus standing for the Jews who are accusing him, right, of secret things that he said. Here's what he says. Jesus answered them, I have only spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. So the gospel is meant for all. The gospel proclamation of the truths that we have at the core of Christianity, what makes you, what you believe to become a Christian is to be proclaimed to the whole world and is not to be kept secret. It isn't for just Jewish people. Like they're the, the chosen people, so it's for them. It isn't just for Gentile people. 
It isn't just for some ethnicity or some particular race or group of people or some elite class. It is for all people. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord of all people. Uh, one of my, my pastor I had w- way back in the day used to say this, Jesus is not a tribal deity. He doesn't belong to a particular group of people. He is the Lord over all people. And if he's the Lord over all people, we as the church are meant to now go out to all people and call them to come in to their Lord. The one who is reigning over them, if they don't actually believe that's true, it's still true. He is still their Lord. He will still sit in the seat of judgment over them one day. No matter who they are, no matter what nationality they belong to, he's their Lord. And so we have a call to the whole world to go out and to be witnesses. Church, we are to be witnesses of this gospel. That's our job. That's why we're here. If you've ever wondered why the Lord didn't just beam you up to heaven to be with him the second you became a Christian, this is one of the reasons why. You're a witness now. Your job is to live out loud. Your job and my job is to proclaim both with our words. That's absolutely necessary. But we are to proclaim in the way that we live, in the way we say no to idols and yes to Jesus, we are to proclaim to the world what this Christianity is all about and who this Christ is to the world. We're to proclaim it everywhere we go. This is what the church's mission is. We are to proclaim it locally, amongst our neighbors, and we are to send missionaries to the ends of the earth to proclaim it globally as well. This is what we are as a church. This is how we define ourselves. This is why our mission statement at Echo Church has this concept of gather, train, and send. There's a, there's a send element there of going out into the world outside of these four walls. And we are to proclaim it to everyone. But, church, we need to know the gospel in order to proclaim the gospel. We need to know it in order to proclaim it. Not only that, we need to love it in order to proclaim it. Okay, so there's one thing to know it. It's one thing to say, I understand the basic propositions of the gospel. I understand how to share it with somebody. We have to actually do more. It has to sink into the level of our hearts to where we actually love the gospel. Let me challenge you this morning. Do you love the gospel? Do you love it? Have you, are you feeling the effects of the gospel in your life, in your family's life, in your marriage, in your friendships? Are you feeling the effects of the gospel as you consider your sin? One of the reasons we confess sin here, we do it publicly, and some people go, man, this is weird. Why are you, why are you standing and publicly confessing sin? You know, that, we just don't see that outside of the church. Well, why are we doing that? To make the gospel more sweet? To make the joy of the gospel something that sinks into your heart as you forget for just a moment in the church service, go, I, I am, I am, I'm like that person that just is praying that, that, that prayer. I'm like them. I'm, I do what they do. I am similar to them. And we sort of leave you in a moment for a moment, don't we? I, I mean, it was done well just here. We sort of leave you for just a moment in that. Yeah, I do those things. I, I really am a sinner. And then we preach again through the next prayer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's it meant to do? It's, cause, it's meant to cause us to deepen our love for Christ, to deepen our love for the gospel, because we aren't going to proclaim anything we don't love. So church, our call is to love the gospel so that we will be like wisdom here. We will be one proclaiming it to anybody who will listen. How about number two? Let's look at, let's keep looking at the text. Proverbs 1, 22, 23. Okay. Now wisdom starts to speak. 
Wisdom says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. Notice who wisdom is addressing in these verses. To be called simple. How about scoffers? It's addressing scoffers. How about fools? It's addressing fools. Those who haven't heard. Those whose hearts are far from God. And wisdom says, this is who I'm talking to. I'm talking to those who are far from God. This is point number two. If you're taking notes, wisdom is for sinners. Wisdom is for sinners. Who are, who are these simple ones? Who are these fools? Is it us? Is wisdom speaking to us? This sounds insulting, doesn't it? It sounds insulting to be called a fool, a simple one, to be called a scoffer. But this is how the gospel works. This is something that makes, in fact, this is the something that makes the gospel so hard to receive because it's humbling. It breaks us down. It shows us first who we really are. And there's a lot of us and there's a lot of those who are outside of these walls who say, I don't want to see who I really am. I don't really want to know. But this is a necessary part of the gospel of Jesus Christ to first show a mirror up to you and to say, here is who you really are in the depths of your heart. And so wisdom is for sinners. Remember when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Remember this question that they would bring to him? Why are you hanging out with all of them? Here's what Jesus says. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now I've said this before from this pulpit. I'm going to say it again. How do you get healed by Jesus? How do you receive anything from Jesus? By calling yourself a righteous one that doesn't need healing? Or by calling yourself first a sinner who is sick, who does need healing. See, it's all in what you're calling yourself, isn't it? Because there was a group of Pharisees that were saying, why do you hang out with all those sick people? What's the assumption behind those words? We're not. We're not sick. We're good. We're righteous. We're healthy. In fact, we're going to kind of tell you what to do, Jesus, because, you know, all of us healthy folks, we're all hanging out together. And Jesus' answer is both loving towards those who are the sinners and an absolute rebuke towards the Pharisees that were asking the question. Jesus says, I didn't come. If you call yourself healthy, I did not come for you. Those are devastating words to hear that the God of the universe wants essentially nothing to do with you. Now, it, could there be grace for some of the Pharisees? Absolutely. Even in the story of the gospels, there were some Pharisees that actually had a change of heart. But what Jesus is saying is absolutely clear. If there is no change of heart, if there's a settled disposition in your heart, which says, I'm healthy, I'm good, I'm righteous, thank you very much. Jesus says, I will have nothing to do with you. So the gospel, first, is incredibly humbling because the gospel says you are sick. You're broken. You break God's law all the time. Not a little bit. Not just every once in a while, and I can kind of patch up those holes. There are massive gaping holes coming through the sides of the ship, if you know what I'm saying. Giant holes that are not going to be patched up. You're sinking. There's nowhere else to turn. Jesus says, now you're ready. Now 
you can come to me. So how do you get wisdom? Well, you got to be one of those that wisdom's talking to. I got to be a fool. I got to recognize the foolishness in my heart. I got to recognize that there are things I do that are actually by my actions, I'm scoffing at God. I got to recognize that I'm sick so that the healer can come. And Christian, those who are being sanctified day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit, in some ways you are still this. Okay, in some ways, I got to be really careful here and I'm not going to go into a deep theology dive here, but I want you to be aware that in some ways, in many ways, even you are still this, even though Jesus has given you his righteousness and you'll be judged only on Jesus's righteousness one day. Christian, you are still this and to forget this, to walk away from this message and to say, I'm good now. I'm good. Everything's great now. Smile at church. Everything is fine is to walk away, in a sense, from the gospel. So the church is still a place of people who are falling short every day. And yet there's a recognition that we are. There's a recognition of our need for the healer to come. Proverbs 1, 23. Notice that now wisdom's going to offer you a deal. Wisdom says, hey, fools, hey, scoffers, hey, those of you that are far from God, here's my deal, okay? If you turn at my reproof, wisdom says, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Now, that word turn in Hebrew, that is nothing less than the word for repent in the Old Testament. To, to turn in the Old Testament is to repent. They didn't use the word repent like we use in the New Testament or used to in the New Testament. They use the words turn. Turn away. Turn away from your life. Turn away from the things you love, the idols that you love. Turn to me, wisdom says. And when you do that, what does wisdom say? She will do pour my spirit out upon you. Now this should, if you're a New Testament reader, if you've read the New Testament before, this should perk your ears up. Wait, wisdom has a spirit to pour out? What is happening here? Look at John 20, 22. Look at what Jesus says. And when he, Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, who else has the Holy Spirit to give? We got wisdom in the Old Testament saying, you, I will give to you my spirit. We don't see the words holy in front of it. That's okay. We see, I will give to you my spirit. And here's Jesus and John saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit out upon you. Who was this to? This is to those who had turned and put their trust into Jesus. This was his disciples, the guys who followed him and trusted him and loved him. And he says, here's my Holy Spirit. I'm pouring it out upon you. And here's wisdom in the Old Testament saying, if you turn, if you trust me, if you put your trust in me, if you turn away from your sin to me, I will pour my spirit upon you. Now, what does the spirit do in the New Testament? What is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Look at John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you is bringing truth to your, first Corinthians actually says that there's a natural man, a doesn't have the Holy Spirit out there that cannot understand. They, they can't. They hear the word of God come to them and they go, eh, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But, but what God's word says is when you have the Holy Spirit, you can understand things that are plain in scripture. So what is wisdom saying again? I will make my words known to you. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
the Holy Spirit's work, one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing is bringing understanding to you as a Christian. How'd you get the Holy Spirit? By turning away from your sin and putting your trust into Jesus. What does the Old Testament say? Turn away from your former life. Turn to me, wisdom says, and I will pour out my spirit upon you. And then what the spirit's going to do is bring your understanding, bring you to understand the words that I'm speaking. So wisdom says, if you repent, I'll pour out my spirit. Here's, here's how Peter says it when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent, turn, and be baptized, every one of you, into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what's going to happen then? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so whether we're in the Old Testament or whether we are in the New, we are getting the same simple rather than Jesus Christ. So perhaps you're visiting this morning and you've not put your trust in Jesus. Perhaps you find Christianity to be confusing. Perhaps you hear sermons like this and you go, I, I don't, it's not sinking, it's just not sinking in for me. I'm just not, I'm not getting it. Let me tell you something very simple about what Christianity is. Let me just break it down into just a couple sentences. I'm even going to put it up on the board behind me so that you guys can see it and read it. If there's one thing I want you to hear about what Christianity is, it is this. Christianity is about putting your full trust into Jesus as the only one who can save you of your sins. When you put your trust in him, he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit. Your life is then governed by the illumination and power that the Spirit gives you. You will stand before God, the judge, one day and be found to be righteous because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Okay, so there are verses all over the place that are going to cover what I just said right there. But what I wanted to do is just boil it down into its simplest form so that you can understand what it is that we're trying to communicate, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday. What I'm trying to communicate is that basic idea. Way back here in the book of Proverbs, we're seeing it, aren't we? Way back in the Old Testament, before Jesus, you know, thousands of years or a thousand years before Jesus walked on this earth, we see these words clearly communicating the message that I'm giving you there. Let's move on. We're going to see a tone shift now. We're going to see something, something shift significantly. Proverbs 1.24. Here's wisdom. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Now, obviously, we see a shift in tone. Wisdom's angry. These are some of the harshest words in scripture, specifically because wisdom is being portrayed here or is declaring that she is laughing at the calamity of another person. I mean, if that doesn't shock you, okay, you, I don't think you're listening. That is shocking. And I have just been saying the entire time that wisdom is a picture of Jesus Christ. What? Jesus is the personification of wisdom. It is the Lord himself who has been calling out to anybody and everybody who will come. But something has shifted in the text. Okay. Now notice, first of all, that the tenses have shifted. 
Did you guys notice that? The tenses of the verbs have shifted. We are now transported into a future time. Okay? And the foolish have rejected wisdom. It's already done. And notice that it's not just done, but maybe there's a chance in the future. It's done. That's it. Do you see that? You can actually see it in the words. Look at the tenses of the verbs themselves. Because I have called. Do you know what that is? Okay, that's a perfect tense. Okay, I, I know not all of you have had grammar in a little while, but what that means is that that action is done and gone. I called. I'm not calling. I'm not in the process of calling. I have called. Okay, what else? You have ignored. Not like, hey, hey, be careful. You're in the process of ignoring me. Come on, come on, come on. It's nope, it's done. You ignored me. It's over. You would have none of my reproof. Again, it's a finished work. It's done. This is a done deal. It's all over. That's why I say we've been transported to a future time now. Because if just a few verses before, wisdom saying, come on, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. Who's going to listen? Who's going to listen? Now, all of a sudden, in this verse, we're transported to a time where there is at least a certain group who have said, no. We refuse. And now there is no future call. There is no, come on, come on. It's done. There's now nothing left but judgment. And the judgment might sound really harsh to our ears, but realize that this language, the specifics of this language is designed to wake you up. Come alive. Listen to the words. If they shock you, don't let it insult you. If they shock you, realize how harsh that judgment will be one day. This, the Bible does this a lot. As much as the Bible is trying to say to you, there is great joy in coming to the Lord. There is a fulfillment of who you are. Jackson was just praying about us becoming more human in the goal that we were originally supposed to be as we worship and as we are, are, are giving in more and trusting more in who Jesus is, we're actually becoming more human. There's a lot of ways in which the Bible calls us with honey. Come on. It's good over here. It's good. But at the same time, the Bible says, but there is a, there is a recompense. There is a something that comes for those who do not come. And the Bible loves you, friends, by making it as harsh as it possibly can be, because it is harsh. So why would the Bible sugarcoat something that is actually really, really gnarly in the day that it comes? So there's no sugarcoat when the one who's just been calling as Jesus himself says, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. What? Why? What is that? And remember this. C.S. Lewis puts it really well. And I think he's capturing a lot of scripture here when he puts into the words of Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan or God is not nice. The lion is not nice, but he is good. And don't mix up in our modern society, nice and good. There is a big difference between nice and good. God is good. Don't find yourself standing before him as an enemy because he will not be nice. And make no mistake, if you stand outside of Jesus Christ before God, he will treat you like an enemy. When that day is done and the call of wisdom, the call of the gospel is done and you have breathed your last and you are now standing before God in judgment, there is no more gospel call. There is no more call of wisdom to you saying, will you come? Will you come? Will you come? By that time, the verb tenses become perfect. They're done. It's over. 
Romans 5.10, listen to the logic here. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Notice what that is saying there. Before you were reconciled to God, before you were reconciled to God by Jesus, before you came to trust in God, what is the Bible saying about you before you've come to trust in him? You're an enemy. Now be careful because there's two different kinds of enemies. There are the enemies that are walking and breathing on this earth right now for which the gospel is going out. God is, is calling to them through preachers and people like you and, 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 and people that are having coffee with them and, and their, 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 their uh, employees along with them and they meet them at Starbucks and they're enemies of God, but there's a preacher coming, whether it's you or whether it's me, to share the news of wisdom with them to turn and to trust in Jesus. There's a love of God in that for them. Preachers being sent out, church members being sent out to them, missionaries being sent across the globe to them to preach to them the good news of Jesus Christ. There's love there. God's love and his enemies there. But then... At the end of that person's life, if they stay in that state, they then become an enemy for which God says, it's settled, you're an enemy. And that's terrifying. There is no person living on this earth that has experienced the wrath of God when God has settled and determined that person is an enemy of mine and I will treat them as such. No one has experienced that on this earth because that's something that's hidden from us. That's something that happens after we die in judgment. Now, what is gracious about that here? Why would I say that the Bible using the harshest language possible and speaking about God mocking his enemies who are some of them, they're human beings. Why would I say there's grace in those verses? How could I say that? Because it hasn't happened yet. Do you get it? It hasn't happened yet. You're being warned about something with the harshest language possible, but it isn't true for you yet. God is not mocking you yet. God is not laughing at your command, uh, at, your, at your calamity yet. God is sending his gospel. He's sending his preachers to you. It's still okay. You can still come. But he's being clear about what the end will be. And that's loving You remember the story of Ebenezer Scrooge in the Dickens Christmas Carol? Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? He's a horrible human being. He's a horrible human being. But how does he finally get turned? How does he finally change? You remember he gets visited by the three ghosts? Well, some of you guys remember that the last ghost that visits him is the ghost of Christmas future. What does the ghost of Christmas future show him? It shows him the picture of what will be if he continues down that road. And if you remember, whether you've seen the Mickey Mouse version or whether you've actually read the, the book, you remember that it is that, the ghost of Christmas future showing him his future, that shakes him free and changes him in the present but he had to get a glimpse of what was going to be if he continued down the road that he was on. And today, this morning, as we read this text, it is as if you have been visited by the ghost of Christmas future. You have been shown what will be. You have been shown the attitude of this God of love toward you when you are finally 
an enemy of his. And it is God's word telling you that if nothing changes, if you are outside of Christ and nothing changes, this is the sure future that awaits you. It occasionally happens at a faithful Bible teaching church that one of their members decides to not live any longer as a Christian. Okay. Amongst churches that practice church membership, it is occasionally true. And this hasn't happened at Echo Church. If you're wondering, it hasn't happened yet, but it is occasionally true that one of their members, one of those who they have said to our best of our knowledge, this person is a believer, then decides to not walk anymore as a Christian whether they just simply say they're not a Christian or whether they decide to live a lifestyle that would not be characterized as a Christian lifestyle without repentance, whether it's the one or whether it's the other, there are times where a church with tears has to practice something called church discipline. And what that is, is it's when a church gets together and they say as the members of a church together, we can no longer affirm that this person is a believer. It isn't that we know the person may come back. There might be repentance later in their life, but as of right now, because of the lifestyle and because of the unrepentance, we have to send this person out of our fellowship. We no longer allow them to take communion at our church. And we are a sense saying to them, as far as we can tell, we don't see fruit of the Holy spirit in your life. We don't see fruit of being a Christian. And it's always a very somber and difficult time when a church does that. And the question is always asked in those moments when a church has to go through something like that. How is this loving? How is it loving to a person to just say, we got to send you out of our membership. We got to send you out of the church. And here's the answer I give and many others give when we are confronted with this question. It is loving because we are enacting for them a scene. A scene in which they're still living and breathing and still part of this earth. A scene in which there is a group of people who are saying, we don't see the love of Christ in you. We don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. We don't see that these things are present and we're concerned enough to where we almost do a form of judgment. Now make no mistake, we're not doing anything to harm them. We're not, but we are getting together and we're saying this is a judgment that we're now casting upon you. And that judgment is a picture of the greater judgment that's coming. And the church has a very small part to say, to say to this person, if you continue on this track, it will no longer be the, the 70 members of Echo Church that are saying this about you. It will be the God of the universe who is declaring finally that you are outside of Christ. So it's a final warning. It's a final loving warning to call those who are walking that way to come back or else this is not going to be us anymore later. It's going to be the Lord himself. And I believe it is loving to do that as a church and praise God. We haven't had to do that yet, but if we're a faithful church over the lifespan of our church, we will, we will. So wisdom is calling calling to everyone. There is no person that wisdom does not call to. Jesus Christ calls the gospel forth to every single person. There's not a person he does not call to. And wisdom says, turn, turn from your life and come. And I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit upon you. Jesus says, turn from your life, put your trust in me, and I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit upon you. And wisdom says, if you don't, in the final day when you've breathed your last, and if you have not, you will be my enemy. And Jesus says, if you don't, and if you breathe your last and you decide not to, you will be my enemy. And so friends, there's nothing left to do except to say, if you have not put your trust in Christ this morning, 
Don't let one more breath in your lungs happen before you come and put your trust in him. If you have questions, if you're not sure, if there are things holding you up, there are so many members here that I'm looking at right now, myself included, who would love to answer those questions to the best of our ability, point you to scripture, show you who God is. Maybe there are misconceptions that you're holding on to, but don't let another moment go by before you make a beeline for Jesus because there will one day be a time where you can't. And this is the heart of Christianity. This is where it all begins. Will you or will you not choose him? And it is my prayer this morning that you will choose life. And for those of you that are put your trust in Christ, you're walking with him. I hope for you, this is just another opportunity to remind yourself of the incredible grace of God that you don't find yourself as an enemy of him, but yet find yourself as one who is in his embrace as a child. A, one who is loved by him. So we're going to celebrate communion in just a few moments here. I'm going to pray. We're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate the fact that we, those of us who put our trust in Christ have not, we will not stand before him as enemies. And it's because of what he did on that cross. So let's pray. Lord, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would just be present and in our midst. There's so many ways to apply whether we've truly put our trust in Christ or whether we have not. There's so many ways now to apply the gospel in, to our hearts. And I pray, God, you would do that now. Fill us and empower us now to be the messengers that are going to carry your gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, remind us of the state of those who have not yet put their trust in you. So we ask you now to meet us. Pour your Holy Spirit out upon us afresh. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.